Hello, and welcome to another edition of Bunker Daily, the pocket-sized upstart to our weekly startup. I am Alex Andreou, and I'm talking to you from my seventh week of lockdown in Mykonos, Greece, where we are nearing the revelation that I haven't, in fact, been writing a cookbook, but just typing all work and no play makes Alex a dull boy over and over. I am delighted to welcome today, from her home in London, Dr. Yuje, one of the UK's most respected and sought-after voices on China's foreign policy. She teaches diplomacy at the London School of Economics as one of their leading women and is Senior Research Fellow on China at Chatham House. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Alex. How are you coping with lockdown life? <laughs> uh, well, I think it is like everybody. Uh, it seems to be all um, everyday life pattern has changed. And suddenly I sleep much better but also getting more anxious because my loved one is quite far away from me. So, um, so yeah, both kind of pleasure, but also a pain. So I'm tormented. Mm. Um, uh, I'm exactly the same way. My other half is back in London and I'm stuck here. I know your folks are back in China. Where, where are they and how are things for them? Well, my parents are in China. Um, they are absolutely fine at the moment because, as we know, the current epidemic inside China managed to be under the control for the first wave. So they can go out of mm. their own home quite freely. But again, obviously, they need to prove to the local authority that both of them have not had the virus. So, okay, so going, going back to the start of all this, this mystery, um, I, I find there's a tendency to revise the timeline of what we knew and when. Uh, through the prism of what we know now. For instance, there was some research in mid-February, I think, which concluded the first cases of COVID-19 can be traced back to late November. And people, a couple of months later, seemed to transpose that into China, China knew all about it in November and kept it a secret. But the truth is that we only knew about the November cases in February. To what extent do you think these reactions are informed by the sometimes difficult political relationship between China and parts of the West? I think, of course, there's a lot of um, um, ambivalence in here, exactly where this virus has been found, and whether this virus has some similarities, like, for example, like in SARS in the past. So, because of um, the Chinese political system op- operate in such opaque way, so this naturally would allow Western media and the Western pundits to assume that China covered everything up in order to not to inform to the rest of the world. So we don't really know what happened in the very beginning. The issue is certainly the Wuhan local government, from the beginning when they began to deal with this crisis, they had a tendency of covering up for their own political career rather than for anything else. Oh, I see. So it was the it was the the sort of uh, uh, the internal politics of the regional politicians and how they relate to Beijing that resulted in the in the what you describe in the South China Morning Post today as the initial blunder. In responding to this public health crisis, is that is that what 
what happened? Or was there another blunder more rooted in Beijing? I think this blunder uh, strikes some similarities like what happened in SARS back to 17 years ago. Because it's the time of the Chinese New Year, where the local officials tend to reporting only the good news, but not bad news. And therefore they felt for some local transmitted disease like this, perhaps it's not really worthwhile to report it to the um, senior authority. Obviously, if you're reporting something wrong, and perhaps your political career will be in danger. So I think that's part of the reason why this really holding back the local officials to report the news to the more senior level. And another thing happened in here, it is also something to do with this whole ideas of recentralization of the Chinese Communist Party rule. Recentralization basically means the provincial authorities used to have a lot of autonomy, but now all these autonomies have been given back to Beijing. And obviously in that case, the local officials would have very little incentive to adding inputs to many policies. And all they want to do is they want to waiting for the instruction from Beijing and in order to do the right thing. So that's really um, caused the trouble in here, I would say, because local officials felt they're not in the position of saying something new and they have to waiting for the instruction. Mm. Jay, when we first met what feels like several centuries ago, um, we talked about the first rumblings of the Huawei story and how Western Orientalist stereotypes play into the notion that China is manipulative and sneaky and untrustworthy. And we're seeing the same thing again with Trump lab- labeling COVID-19 a Chinese virus and many pointing to a changing narrative as evidence of dishonesty, when the truth seems to me that the entire world has been on a very steep learning curve and information does change on a daily basis. Is this pure xenophobia, or is it in part justified um, from past behavior? I think there's a combination of several reasons. And the first reason, as what you have described, is a sense of xenophobia, as this is of yellow pearl, you know, the um, the Chinese has always run its country in a great mysterious way, and that's reason number one. I think the even deeper reason would be an ideological reason. Now, since the beginning, um, since the end of the Second World War, of course, at the time you had a major Communist Party run by Soviet Union, and the mission for the Americans, for the United States, is always to bring down the communism. And then, of course, after 1989, it seems to be the most glorious moment of the liberal democracy, the so-called the end of history moment, described by Francis Fukuyama. And so the rest of the world, especially um, in the West, they could not really believe, actually, countries like China, which operate under the Chinese Communist Party, could succeed in anything. But however as what the stories were now familiar with, all the sense of economic miracle and all the sense of the one-party rule state seems to defy all the conventional wisdom and manage to put this epidemic in a temporary hold. And this makes the rest of the world, especially the liberal democracy, entering into that sense of hysteria. Why? 
So that's I think that's the deeper reason, ideological division, a long-standing ideological division between China. And the West and causes this.、Um, There's a sort、blaming. of cognitive dissonance, basically. It is a cognitive dissonance, but I think in the deeper reason, it's really about、um, us and other. So you either belongs to the camp of democracy, or you belongs to the camp of autocracy. And there's no enemy the ways in between.、Mm. Similarly, I have noticed that a lot of people in the West. Project their feelings onto the Chinese public. They they sort of ask, "How would I feel if the state had intervened in such a draconian way and were asking me to produce apps on my phone showing my temperature or whatever?" And they assume that everyone in China must be feeling silently very angry. But my contacts in China tell me that the majority of the public are either supportive. Or if anything, angry at the state not intervening more directly and decisively, is this、uh, basically a lack of understanding of cultural difference? I think partially yes. I think we ca- we ca- we have to look at、um, in a different and nuanced way. There's a 1.4 billion population in China. I mean, I cannot speak on behalf of all of them, but there's a certain a majority of the opinion believe at the moment. The government has done a good job, but however, why the government could not be intervened any time quicker in the beginning of the outbreak to be able to control this? Firstly, and secondly, some Chinese or most of the urban dwellers, urban Chinese, felt to see a, a strong display of state power. It seems to offer them some kind of psychological. Um, assurance that they felt the state is actually intervening and putting hands on、um, to dealing with the epidemic. So one of the major complaints from China, especially for many from many Chinese cities, are、uh, why the government would not be able to handle、um, a face mask to every single citizen. That's the one of the major complaints the Chinese people have to its own population, to its own government. Sorry. So that's obviously very different from what the media in this part of the world describe. That it seems to be the Chinese population want to have a, a fighting for freedom, fighting for liberty. I think at the end of the day, what the Chinese population really concern is when this disease could be fully under control, and secondly, how can we start a normal life and back to normal and restart the economy, like anyone else in the world. British progressives, in particular, they, we are, I should say, very good at seeing domestic nuance and exempting ourselves from the UK's foreign policy. Everything from the Iraq War to sort of not my PM hashtags, but we are less generous in seeing detail internationally. Is it fair to criticise the Chinese and as one homogenous? Mass that's interchangeable with China's government.、Um, I think used to be the Chinese society seems to be more homogeneous, but I think given the current、um, outbreak, there's a different voices、um, being displayed in China. So the society become more heterogeneous rather than homogeneous. I would argue in here, but one thing is very clear for many of the Chinese population. It seems to be why the Western government this time seems to respond too slow. 
after two months, China has gone through this epidemic. And why this again happened in Europe, and especially within G7 member countries? You know the 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 developed economy which China admires all the time, and why they have not really setting setting a good example for China. Does it feel different to be a Chinese person in the West right now as opposed to six months ago? I think it's very difficult for a Chinese person in the West at this very moment, and. Partially, it's because we have to bear the identity of someone called China virus. That's one thing. I mean, for example, share my own experience while I was on the tube、um, in January and February, and there are certain people just、um, moved away from me immediately, and that's my daily experience I had in the London tube, and this made me feel very sad. After you having all this、um, so-called viruses return to China, return to home, the Chinese social media are not particularly kind for those overseas Chinese who return to China as well. Called them, why do you actually bring virus back home? So I think we're sandwiched in between of West and our home country. Um, where are we exactly?、Mm. You write today in the、uh, South China Post that、um, there may be an opportunity. In fact, for China to fill the global leadership void left by the U.S., the U.S., but that in order to do that, it must allow its scientists to take the spotlight rather than monopolize it for party propaganda. Which way do you think this is going to go, and how will it change China's international relations going forward? I do not have a crystal ball to answer this question. But I think clearly the Chinese authority could learn a pointy lesson in here. Diplomacy is about the perception others have it on you. So, irrespective of what China does in terms of this offering humanitarian、uh, effort to helping other countries or conducting pandemic diplomacy, whether the other countries will receive it or whether the other country will welcome it. It is based on the perception of the other countries have towards China. So at this very moment, the perceptions of China from the other countries seems to be universally negative, and therefore, what China should do is really letting the scientific evidence speaking for itself, rather than orchestrating a propaganda campaign to try to tell one single narrative that China would like to present. Because at the end of the day, diplomacy is about attraction of the others towards you, but not about you trying to tell your story. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think Greece is a country that、uh, is an outlier in many ways in the European Union. It's always had very good relations with China and still does.、Um, and China, as I understand it, has been incredibly helpful to Greece right now, sending. Supplies of uh, uh, protection equipment and even helping financially. Do you think somewhere in Beijing, two lists are being compiled of naughty and nice? Is this is this current administration likely to hold grudges? I think it's fair to say <laughs> there is not such a list, because I think a part of the reason why China will have to help the other countries is because. The Chinese economy is largely depending on the global economy. The quicker the rest of the world get out of this pandemic, the quicker will be help Chinese economy to restart. 
So I think China is doing it for both altruistic, but also more importantly for self-interested reasons. It won't the other country also get rid of this pandemic completely. So、um, the global demand will be driven, and therefore the Chinese economy, especially the export-oriented economy, can take it off again. Don't forget what? Where are we now? We're actually facing the centenary of the Chinese Communist Party. So the government will have to do whatever it can try to present an economic story that could convince its own population that the party, the Chinese Communist Party, is the only legitimate government、um, for the to run the country. And the, whether China can holding economic success in the next eighteen months or so, it does not only depending on China; it depends on the rest of the world. Finally,、um, on a lighter note, or, or should that be on a higher note, I know that, like me, you're a huge opera buff, and one of the small joys of this horrific situation has been how opera houses the world over have opened up their streaming services. I watched a brilliant Carmen from the ancient、uh, theater Irodwatiku in Athens a couple of days ago. What's your recommendation? Well, I mean, I have a, a, a list of operas, and I need to watch.、Um, the best coverage so far I found was in Vienna、um, Vienna Star Opera.、Um, for every single performance they had in the past, even the performance back to 1970s and 1980s, you would see Felicity Lott sing Rosenkavalier, and you also have the pleasure of listening to Anna Trapko sing Anna Bolina. So I think that's perhaps is the silver lining of this global lockdown, and all the cultural institutions open up、um, is a treasure box, and we'll be able to enjoy all the operas and the high arts. And also for those who are interested in more TV dramas, for example, like in China, we have the equivalent Netflix. So in the last three months or so, the equivalent Chinese Netflix has、uh, has. Remove all the subscriptions, so we、we'll、enjoy, be able to enjoy as much TV drama as you can. Wow, Je, as is the case every time we talk, I learn so much in such a short time. Thank you, both personally and on behalf of our listeners, for joining me.、Um, remember, there's a new bunker daily every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday mornings, with a longer weekly episode featuring a full panel every Wednesday morning. So don't forget to subscribe, review, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to support us, search Patreon Romaniacs. We'll be back tomorrow. Stay home, stay safe, stay strong. This is Alex Andreou from the bunker saying over and out. The Bunker Daily was presented by Alex Andreou, produced by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer was Jacob Archbold. Audio production was by me, Alex Reese. The Bunker Daily is a podcast production.